0: Howdy, folks. Welcome to Sketchy Conversations with John Mellison IV. I'm chatting with drummer, studio owner, and lyricist Tom Bowker. We we'll talk about the Florida scene, run-ins with Marilyn Manson, and his time with music legend Blowfly. Check it out. So how has COVID-19 had an effect on you?
1: Uh, you know, I mean, basically, is I mean, I was on, I mean, I've told you this story before, but I was on an airplane when everything went to shit last March like i was like i was on the plane when they took the utah jazz off the court going to la uh so i was on my way um to la and then up to vancouver to work on a film project that i can't discuss nda yeah <laughs> so that uh that got blown up um and uh, you know just lots of uh Um, just, I, you know, it was a little bit of a blessing because I got to spend some time with my dad that I might not have before he passed last October. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I had made plans to travel a lot, uh, in 2020 and that all got to shit. So I'm starting that, starting that back up in, uh, I mean, we, I did take one trip to the Smoky Mountains with my kid, but I mean, I had planned to go to Turkey and all these other places, and <clears throat> that all went. Uh, and you know, and obviously, I would have liked to have had this record out, but uh, obviously, that record wouldn't have happened without COVID because it was a reaction to it. So it's you know, it's just it's been very weird. Uh, you know, watching the the full politicization of science come all the way through now. Um, You know, I mean, COVID probably got rid of Trump, so there's a positive aspect. But it also killed half a million people, so, uh, you know, including my Uncle Bob, who passed uh, last week. He he was 90, rode his bike every fucking day, but uh, his neighbor uh, had COVID, and then with the COVID asked my 90-year-old uncle to uh, help her uh, with her gutters, and he died. So, no good deed goes unpunished. So, you know, it's been a mixed bag. It's like, yes, he would have died eventually. He probably had another year, two good years in him. Um, you know, uh, lots of pretty famous jazz musicians, you know, might have stayed alive a little bit longer had it not been for COVID. COVID killed him. So, I mean, I guess what it has done for me more than anything is it has, it's focused on like what well, you know what's important, which is you know your your loved ones and your friends um, and uh, you know wh- how, what amount of shit are you willing to put up with? Um, and I figured that out pretty quick when uh, when my then girlfriend told me uh, she was jealous of the car radio and uh, you know, it's just too short for that kind of shit and especially when there's a pandemic. <laughs> And at the same time, you know, it's like you have to take calculated risks. It's like, I mean, I know some people that are just fully locked down and they're not coming out until everyone's vaccinated and it's shit. You know, you're just going to play the odds at some point.
0: Um, Eh, True, but it's like... um... Eh, I put it this way: most of the damn time, I'm not a bet man. I put it one thing I learned of myself: I'm not a fucking betting man. Um, yeah. Shit, you know, I'm fat, I have high blood pressure. <laughs> I'm going, I'm going, I'm not going to risk this one. You know what I mean?
1: You got one shot down, buddy. You got one to go. Exactly.
0: So that was the difference. So now I'm a little more optimistic. I'm talking about the whole 2020. I'm staying my, oh. stay my ass here. <laughs> New news, yeah. staying here. It's like, uh it's like okay. So that's how you get stuff delivered. Great. Well how do you utilize that? <laughs> like, okay.
1: <laughs> Shit. On the plus. And i and my, my dessert game is now on point. My my savory game was always on point, but now my dessert game is on point too.
0: Oh totally gives you you know think about one of the main talents I would say? You are mm-hmm. amazing at plating.
1: Eh, I mean it's probably the only visual anything I'm good at. <laughs> You're fucking great
0: at it, though, because it's like I can make something and it looks like shit but tastes awesome. You know? Yeah. It's one of those kind of deals, right? But you're fucking amazing at plate, and I just want to tell you that. You know? I do. No problem. Okay, where are you from originally?
1: Born in Little Rock, Arkansas.
0: Yeah, Bill Clinton, right?
1: Yep, yep. Uh, we shared, uh, me and Chelsea are the same babysitter. No shit. No shit. Nice. Yeah, um, you know, Little Rock is a great place to be from, it's not a place I'd particularly want to live now, but uh, Little Rock is kind of like, if you took San Francisco and you uh, removed um, all the culture and all the homeless people, kind of looks like that. I mean, it's, a, it's not as built up, uh, but it has lots of rolling hills and it's green and you know, it's very pretty, but uh, and Arkansas is one of these places where, like, Little Rock's okay, but, like, the further you go out in the state, like, Little Rock's dead center, and uh, the, the whack jobbiness starts about 100 miles out. Okay. And then it gets to the extreme, like, you know, like Harrison, Arkansas, which is run by the Klan. Fuck. And, you know, West Memphis, where the West Memphis 3, three thing happened. Oh, uh, yeah. Lots of, lots of fucking just that shit from the outskirts. But the middle of Arkansas so relatively cultured, I grew up, my dad's a doctor, so you know, like my dad was all in you know, all in what passed for society back then. He has classical music, uh, everything, and um he was into the opera and he dragged me to it, which is why I became a rock and roller, because I hated that shit.
0: So was there anybody else musically musically inclined yeah. in your family?
1: Um, my late uncle Bob, who I just mentioned, uh, he, uh, he bought a drum set, uh, and when I was maybe, I don't know, nine, and I, uh, I got on it, and I liked it, and then ever since then I wanted one, and, uh, it took me three years of pleading, but I got one. Um, my dad, like, sang in college choirs and stuff, but really, that's about it, um, no one, no one, and like my, my, uh my Michael Bob's uh, son, my cousin Peter, he had a guitar and stuff, but, you know, he wasn't any good at it, he didn't really do anything, but you know, it was like, that side of, that, that was kind of the cool side of the family, and you know, he had a lot, of, that was where I first saw, like, punk rock records and stuff, um, and uh so it just kind of, and I just, I was just obsessed, I wanted to be Elvis when I was six, seven years old. Um, and then I just, uh, you know, just non. I used to when I was like nine, ten years old. I would tape Casey Kasem's Top Forty. Uh, and then uh, when I got a little bit older, I would go to every concert I possibly could. Uh, and uh, like I saw, I saw the Prince Revolution tour when I was fourteen. Yeah. Um, nice. And, so that was like. And uh, you know, I just and like, but basically, the music thing kind of came in two folds. One was the Elvis stuff, and then uh, Little Rock because of 1957. Um, my uh, uh, my friend Isaiah's mom uh, is one of the Little Rock Nine, uh, which is crazy. <laughs> because I met him in Toronto. <laughs> um, but because of the Little Rock Nine, um, that's where the National Guard had to bring nine little girls to high school because of uh, Orville Favis deciding he was going to get the Klan vote. Um, integration was taken very seriously after that because once they got rid of Favis, uh the city fathers were embarrassed. And... Uh, Mandatory busing everywhere. So uh, the kids from the hood gonna bust into my neighborhood. Uh, My primary school was three blocks from my house. I walked to and from from kindergarten on, and um, and then we were bused down to the hood at Stevens Elementary, which is and if you've ever seen the HBO special, (laughs) "Banging in Little Rock," (laughs) I think what the HBO one. I did see that. Yeah, yeah, that's that's that that's that area.
0: <laughs> so that's where you from? Shit.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I mean, that was hood. Uh, and I mean, I live in Miami, where there are hoods, but that hood was pretty fucking rough. And uh, and like I, mean, I would hear on the bus the same music I played professionally thirty years later. So like uh, this is like you know nineteen eighty. Okay, so like you know, 1980, what's on the charts? Remote Control by uh, the Reddings. Uh, Mark Lockett was the singer of the Reddings, and he was also my keyboard player uh, on Fahrenheit 69 and on um, on the on the movie tour. And he also sings uh, the If You Don't Blow Me By Now, and she's got a wiener on the <laughs> on the 76- 76. <laughs> 77 rusty trombones. So uh, you know, rap dirty uh, had a radio edit, which was called rap dirty. Blowfly's rap is the is the dirty version. And so I heard that on the radio. They would, and then they'd have the oldies hour. They'd play Clean Up Woman, which Clarence wrote. And you know, and they and the big the biggest hit of like 1981 uh, was uh, Burn Rubber. And we closed our sets with that. So, I mean, it's it's, it's my life. And then, of course, my first... I mean, this is the other thing. Um, from when I was five until I was 11, I would if I was good, my mom would take me to the record store and I would get a 45. And the first one I bought was Shake Your Booty by KC, a TK recording.
0: So almost like it, was a, it was like you're destined for this.
1: Yeah. My Life is a Greek comedy. Absolutely, I mean, there's no way that should happen, but it did so uh, you know so i so I would you know I would hear the funk twice a day for fourth and fifth grade, and then like um said babysitter, her older brother had like Jimmy Caster bunch records, and so i you know and and i would, and, the, and funk was basically top forty music, you know so if there was like a like i remember there was some like local um you know some some local festival and, you know it was a bunch of like you know dudes who would be in like bar bands now playing you know gap band songs and stuff like that so like the funk was kind of injected into me from that from that radio station yeah. and and then when we moved down here uh when i was 11 um like, it was you know more of a rock thing, and then you know hip hop was was you know just getting out and oh yeah I would I would hear rappers delight like on that school bus too, and the whole school bus would rap along with it <laughs> nice <laughs> and about chicken tasting like wood and whatnot oh, yeah. so yeah, so um you know but and then I um I mean it was, it was just a big culture shock coming from there to here. So, you know, even though I was in the, you know, fancy part of Little Rock, little, you know, Little Rock to Miami in 82, I mean, that was this, I mean, I, we literally moved to the neighborhood of the Cocaine Cowboys. Wow. Like, people water for the property, lots of young Colombian families, lots of cigarette boats, lots of shady motherfuckers living in this neighborhood to this day. But, I mean, especially back then, they were everywhere. Um... And it was, you know, it was not uh, for a, you know, weird one-eyed kid from a uh, from Arkansas. It wasn't always the the easiest fit in the beginning. Uh, but uh, and then and then so I went to one year to public school here, and then I got thrown to like the fanciest um, private school in town, which was good and bad. It was good because I took band. And that's how I learned how to play the drums, and that's when I eventually got um, a drum set. I took band and I took chorus. So I was, like, you know, t- doing two hours of music a day. Uh, unfortunately, that school was filled with the sons of dealers, and they would beat the shit out of me. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Them, and it was just, you know, because, like, basically the school was, it was either, like, you know, uh really rich Latino families, really rich Jewish families, like the grandson of the guy who started Arby's got dropped off in a got dropped off in a limo every morning, just like Richie Ridd. Uh yeah, so you know, lots of Jews, uh, lots lots of uh Hispanic kids, and uh, you know, they tend to go through puberty early and uh we Vikings tend to go through puberty late. So, you know, even though I was tall, I just, you know, I hadn't gotten the hormones yet, and, uh, and I would just, you know, they would just pick, you know, just gang up on me, and it was, it was always, you know, the hit and the run types. It's so, like they would never stand and fight. You know, they would, you know, smack me around and then and bolt, you know, sneak attack. So, like, you know, and then I started getting bigger, and that slowly stopped happening. And then what I to the point where, like, in 10th grade, uh, this kid- the kid who was like the the big my biggest tormentor um he when he was beating me up, I was probably about five feet and he was probably about five four and then I didn't see him for three years and by then I was five eleven and uh, he was five four. oh shit <laughs> <laughs> so uh so i i I punched my fist saw and I didn't see him the entire rest of the school year, which means every time he saw me. He turned in the other direction. Smart. Yeah, it was very smart. I would have. I, <laughs> I certainly would have fucking gone ham on that. But uh, and then uh, in 11, so in tenth grade, I was, I uh, I was in something called the performing in um, the performing arts and visual center, and then um, that turned into the New World School of the Arts. So. Uh, I was immersed. I went for theater, but I was always hung around more with the musicians. Um you know, stuff like and then like it was the first year that school was open. So like, you know, there was like like I know some like uh like Katie Finneran, who has two Tony awards. Um she's a uh, Have you ever seen um oh god, what what's the show with um Oh fuck. It's on IFC. It's a it's a baseball announcer. Damn. I know, I know the one uh, you're talking about too. Shit. He, he he played he was Apu on the Simpsons. What's that guy's name? Hank Azaria. Yeah, Hank Azaria is a right, right. Oh jeez. Anyway, Hank Azaria's character uh, oh Brockmeyer. Brockmeyer. So the premise of Brockmeyer is he's just about to he's he's the Kansas City uh He's the Kansas City baseball team's uh he's Kansas City Royals play by play, and he's just about to get kicked up to the network and he decides to surprise his uh his wife and he finds his wife played by uh Katie (laughs) pegging the neighbor. (laughs) So he goes back to the broadcast booth and gets hammered on the air and he gets banned from baseball. Uh but uh, for um, for describing what he saw, <laughs> but... I got to
0: find a show
1: because I heard about it. I got to find it now. The first episode of Bro- the first two seasons of Brock Meyer are pretty amazing. The third season, it kind of lost me, but uh, the first two are are fantastic. So yeah, she's done that. She was she's done a bunch of like short lived pilots and stuff. She was she was uh she was she played Poppy on Frasier, um, and then um, there's and then this guy Randy Emmett, uh, he's he's a he's a big time movie producer, and right now he's directing De Niro in some movie. Um, so I went with him, and then just like a whole bunch of uh, of folks who were kind of you know working actors like Carl Colefield. He uh, have you seen the One Night in Miami uh, movie that's on Amazon Prime?
0: Um my mom has, but I haven't really sat down to check
1: it out yet. Well he 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 was the first one to direct it when it was a play. So nice. yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. Um and uh so yeah, so you know, it was a real create it was a cool creative community and unfortunately got myself kicked out of it because I was a rebel without a clue. But um but I still like uh like I go to those reunions. I don't go to any other reunions. I went. To the, I didn't go to the 10th, even though I was invited. I went to the 20th, and we just started 30th uh, in 2019. Uh, so, uh, so like through that, you know, like I, I was just I was deeply into music, and I was playing the drums. My my teacher is uh, wound up uh, being the drummer for the Mavericks, uh, who sold a couple million records and just got back together recently, and they just put out an album. But yeah, that, oh, what a crying shame. Yeah, that guy taught me how to play the drums. Um, yeah. So, uh, and then after high school, um, I uh, I got in a band. Uh, my first band I got into when I was 20. I answered an ad. Um, I have a vision. And then three months later, they gave me the gig. And then <laughs> and it wound up being my band. Which was weird. Uh, it was just like, and no one would book us at first because uh, I was the youngest one, even though I was in the scene or whatever. I wasn't in. I was. I wasn't in a band when I was in high school, which was kind of the, you know, the gateway to being hip. So I would just. I started booking shows, um, and the first show I booked was The Unsane, uh, right before uh, their first drummer died. So like. They played that show, and like two weeks later, he was dead. And then um, and then I booked uh, like three more shows that year, and it just kind of became this thing where, like, I would book shows. People would come see us play, and they would <laughs> leave during the headliner. But they wouldn't see us play unless there was a headliner for them to leave from. <laughs> yeah, and around that time, I saw P-Funk for the first time. um, And then that band broke up uh, in '93. Yeah, broke up in '93. Um, And I was I still promoted shows through like '98. I briefly had a band again in '95, but I didn't play for a long time. Um, So like through and then in like '97, '98. I also had a recording studio there. In that time from 93 to 99, called Tapeworm. Uh, um, most of Against All Authorities albums were recorded there. All the Cavity albums were recorded there. A uh, couple of the Floor singles and one of their albums was recorded there. Uh, Newfound Glories, Nothing Gold Can Stay was the last thing we recorded. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, basically, any any kind of South Florida alti or pump band that did anything. The crumbs, et cetera, et cetera, recorded with us at least once, um, and uh, then I started my stupid record label, where I put out, uh, I put out basically um, like I, I had the worst business plan ever, which was, hey, I'll put out the problem children no one want to deal with because I can deal with them, but you know it's a difference with like dealing with it with with an asshole for one night. But when you deal with an asshole every night, that's a problem. <laughs> Yikes.
0: So what was that okay, when I think of Florida, I think of Florida death metal, but what was that, you know, scene like?
1: Um, that was not our scene. That's Tampa. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah um yeah. there are there were a few bands like that down here and I managed one of them. I managed an all girl band called Demon Omicy, which had a, had a stripper on drums. Like a Barbie doll fronting it and uh pretty butch chick on uh on guitar. And um wow. They were hilarious. Uh they were good too, but yeah, you know, they were kind of doomed because their drummer couldn't quite do what they they wanted to play these crazy six minute long tech epics, and she had like enough stamina to do like five. <laughs> Damn. And then of creations from here. Anger, which is a band that had Alex from Melvins creation on drums, recorded at my studio. Um, the scene in Miami was kind of that. I mean, there there, there was basically like a Dade Broward divide. Okay, so the Miami scene was more post punk. Like the biggest bands were Quit, which was a uh, like they, they could have been bigger than sliced bread had they just got in the van and done it I mean they were you know like, like the first time they played with Green Day they outdrew Green Day 3 to 1 um, and they, they were they would regularly do four or five hundred you know people shows here but their manager wanted them to have a major label deal and he what's funny is he wound up working for a major label he became a VP at Interscope wow <laughs> But the band didn't really do anything, and then this band Load, uh, who just recently put out a documentary, um, they were kind of a dirty, like some like if you if you somehow mixed like the Melvins and the Butthole Surfers with like hardcore punk and Ted Nugent, they were just kind of dirty, and that was like the crew I ran with, and then there was a band called a. Uh, um, then there was uh, there was Floor, which is you know, which became Torch, later. Um, Steve Brooks, uh, Torch is a band that that are now on um, Relapse, but they're kind of doom pop, and um, and then Juan Montoya, who was who was originally in uh, Torch, he had a band called Ed Matusa's Struggle, which was named after uh-huh. my friend Ed. And uh, people thought he was in the band that he was not in for years. <laughs> so it was kind of a, you know, um, like, like the shows I booked were things that I was interested in. So I would book weird shit, like, you know, Voluptuous Horror, Karen Black, Unsane, Dwarves, Elvis, Hitler, um, you know, like, uh, Peg Boys, stuff like that. And then when I would then I would collab on shows and do more mainstream stuff. So I like towards the end I was doing like lagwagon and shit like that. Did sick of it all twice, both times ended in riots. Um, so like there was kind of a aggro hardcore scene. Um, there was kind of a you know dirty pop post punk scene, there was a pop punk scene, and it all kind of, you know, and then around it, everybody loved Slayer. So yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of how like that era in Miami music was. And then like right after that came all the new Jack uh, hardcore shit that got out of here, like Shy Halud and stuff like that. And then out of New and then out of like the singer of Shy Halud is a guitar player from Newfound Glory. So, like, that that kind of, like, someone stabbing me in the eye with hot, you know, red hot pokers, that kind of shit, uh, came out of that. And then out of that came that emo wave. Like, Dashboard Confessional came out of uh, the band that's strong, that came out of strong, whose name I can't remember. But, um, yeah. Because
0: yeah. I remember you told me you booked some shows with certain bands, one being Deftones, right?
1: Uh, no, I didn't book it, but I, uh, that was at a club that I worked at. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it was. Yeah. And I, and like this chick wanted me to get her into the show. So I did. And I went there and, um, and then Andre, who was the drummer of quit that I mentioned earlier, and he was one of my studio partners and, uh, they had like this kind of half-assed like plywood double braced wall separating them and the crowd and the crowd was doing their best to, uh, knock it over and destroy all, destroy all the sound gear. So like, uh, and then I and then I started hearing what had happened, which was, this was right when they were blowing up the first time, and they could have moved. And this was a two-venue complex, so the upstairs, right in my shows, uh, was a 500-cap, like no more than 600 people should ever be in, you know, ever, room. Uh, and that was the prop room, and the downstairs was the theater where, like, Weezer had played, like, 2,000 seater. You know, it'd be just 2,000 people downstairs, and that's where that show should have been moved. But they wouldn't do it. And then when they got to the venue, they were like, "Okay, well, we need a barricade," and you know, and they they start getting all weird and all pro on everybody, and it was, you know, it was a nightmare to deal with. And these dudes were feeling themselves. And, uh, so like, you know, I'm holding, you know, I'm not supposed to be working and I'm holding, suddenly I find myself, you know, working my ass off, you know, keeping 600 kids from running over this fucking soundboard. And then I hear him go, Hey man, this, this, this barricade is bullshit. I just want to be, I want to be with you guys. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Fuck this guy.
0: I think that was and Chino.
1: Yeah, that was Chino. So I start walking down, right? And I get I go in the barricade. And I'm looking up at him. He's like, hey, man. They're telling us we, this is our last song. This is a rip-off, man. I want to play for you all night. And I just looked up at him like, hey! What? Fuck you! Oh, my God. What'd you say? like, you half a motherfucker. Fuck you! Some of us <laughs> have to work here. You're going to start a riot. And if you do, I'm going to Beat your ass, <laughs> and then
0: he left. <laughs> didn't it kind of ended up hap- didn't end up happening with um? Wasn't there an incident we with Diff's?
1: Def- Three weeks later, they played a yes. the radio. Show in Arizona. You know exactly. We I'm going with this. Yeah, and they were. They uh, they started doing that same shit, telling everyone they were playing a big lawn amphitheater and telling everyone to come down. And like, yo, I want everyone down here And so everyone came there and they usually everyone go on stage and so people are coming up on stage and then you know the stage gets overrun and there's there's cops like fucking uh spraying kids with bass who are like ten feet up on webbing and shit. And so, you know, the show ends and typo negative don't get to play. Oh shit. So uh, you know, those dudes before they became vampires were like all Boston hardcore dudes and they were tough as fuck and they were not the kind of people you want to fuck over like that. So they're in the hotel bar and uh, the drummer is, uh, you know, drinking his beer and they, and Chino and one of the guitar player walks in and they're like, Hey rockstar, oh, Hey shit. rockstar, you think you're a fucking rockstar? I think you're a fucking pussy. And, uh, and they they uh, just start beating the fuck out of them, and those dudes escaped by by crawling under the tables and running away.
0: Was Peter Steele involved in this? Uh,
1: I mean, you know, it was his bad. I I don't have a I don't have a, a direct uh, uh, recollection that he was the one beating them up, but uh, just the fact that the rest of the dudes did is enough.
0: That <laughs> just... is. There's a fuck side of me the 14 year old version of me hearing because I was not a Deftones fan until like twenty twelve. I'm sorry, but here's the thing about it. When I got more into rock, I want to hear some shit I haven't heard. So when I first heard Deftones, I was like, So it's R and B for kids that were junkos. Gotcha. Um I don't know. I just imagine like um Peter Steele just grabbing Chino, just tossing like sliding on the bar and shit. <laughs> It's like a cheap drink. Just like
1: wow! Oh God! I mean, just anyone who would pull that. I mean, you know, just just it's just so as someone who has played large venues, anyone who has you know, like I I have manipulated the crowd once or twice, but for good. Yeah. Um, Anyone um, who does that with you know, with the intent of destroying the venue like he did. It's just a piece of shit.
0: You have a 24-7 spy story too, right?
1: Well, (laughs) I mean, okay, there's a, basically, the first time I saw them, it was like one of the greatest things I've ever seen. It was the original lineup. um, Fucking uh, Pete is, is hanging upside down from the rafters singing. He's leading conga lines around during Jungle Boogie. I mean, it's just fucking insane. And then they came back with the second lineup uh, with that guy from Virginia singing and it, the show lasted like four songs before a riot and a bunch of tear gas breaks out. Uh, yeah. The <laughs> Please. And then the last time I saw them um, uh, Jimmy was Kind of whining on stage about uh, How come no one was going off Last night people were going off And I go yeah we'll play some old shit And he got really mad <laughs> He's just like oh, shit. Shit turn the fist. I'm not a jukebox da, da, da,
0: da. <laughs> Oh damn
1: <laughs> Wait Did oh.
0: somebody yell out Um, it was Something about bad brains Or something like that
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, he goes, and yeah, that was the second, that was the riot show. Jimmy's was like, sorry, bad brains don't exist. <laughs> Go to a bad brain show. Oh, you can't. They don't exist. Too bad.
0: <laughs> oh, damn. Yeah,
1: and, and they've never come back, and I, I can't blame them.
0: <laughs> I could have sworn you told me that they ended up playing Reignition or something like that.
1: Oh, I think people were singing Reignition at them. And,
0: uh, oh,
1: there was some anger involved. Oh. Uh, but anyway, my long and boring. So, like, I, I do the record label. I go on tour with one of the bands. And, uh, you know, and then the label just goes belly up. Uh, and then two years later, I became a music writer. And that's how I met Blowfly.
0: All right. I was about to ask that. Actually, there's two other questions. The first one was. You told me the story about how you had a um, running with a pre-fame Marilyn Manson. And I thought the oh, story was yeah, cool as yeah, shit.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, Marilyn Manson, the only band that ever got worse when they added a drummer. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> so uh, okay, so they had just started. Like I had seen maybe their fourth or fifth gig. It was a tribute to Pink Flamingos and they had an egg lady and you know, and then like he and, and he ran up to some chick and he fucking ripped her ripped her shirt off and took Polaroids. So you know you couldn't tell if it was staged or not, you know. Um
0: From what I've heard lately, I don't think that was so much staged.
1: Yeah. Well hard he to was
0: tell trying to warn us
1: at the time it was hard to tell. However, you know, clearly he's an asshole. Okay. So, uh, okay, so yeah, this would be 90, so there's a little bit after that, that would be like 91, this is like 92, so I had just come out of a GWAR ship, and I'm, you know, like covered in the stupid GWAR fake blood, right, and, um, and here he comes with a rolled up flyer, now this is an important detail because Nazis hand out rolled-up flyers so you don't punch them on impact. Oh, shit. So he runs up to me with a rolled-up flyer and says, Here, stick this up your ass. Now, at the time, uh, I weighed quite a bit less than I do now, and I had long-ass hair, and I'm covered in blood. So probably not the first person you want to fuck with. And, I'm, and i just go. What'd you say to me, you half a motherfucker? <laughs> you know, and I'm just coming out of gore, so I'm sure I was loud as fuck because you know I was loud in there. And I, I, he must have been on acid or something because I freaked him out, and he just sprints into Washington Avenue, um, which is the main drag of South Beach. He just sprints and runs right into like a Volvo sedan, oh, like into shit. the corridor. Yeah, he would, like runs into it and then you know, just keeps going. And then every time I saw him after that, he would like run to the he would run to the corner and cower. Like I gave him bad flashbacks. That's fucking awesome. Yeah, you know, couldn't happen to a nicer douche.
0: Absolutely. Uh, God
1: damn. Um... I mean, I I always knew he was a scumbag. And I, you know, and like I have friends who were friends with the band. All the, I'm like, fuck that, fuck them, and fuck that guy. And you know, history has proven me correct. The one guy in that band who wasn't a total dickhead was Brad, aka Gidget G- Gain. And in fact, he is in the album cover for Blowfly's Punk Rock Party. He is a straight guy with his with his hand on his head. He is. You're right.
0: Mm-hmm. i was to not out why that guy looks so familiar.
1: <laughs> no, no I remember
0: it was something else you said too that just cracked me the fuck up actually about him. <laughs> no, he was oh, back. No, <laughs> no some uh, uh, Marilyn Manson. Um, oh, it was, okay. It so was there,
1: there was this thing called there was this thing called the Slammy Award. Yes, the guy that's guy. the one. Yeah, the guy that I booked shows with it was his baby, uh, and he would give out skulls, and so I gave away the award for the best drummer, and like our pay was the keg in the back, and I was you know twenty three or so and when you're a twenty three year old you know a keg of beer and you're a punk rocker that keg of beer is very important to your life yes and uh you know and I'm back there and we're just hanging out and um and then this is right when they got signed to uh to nothing to nothing records and um and he had the he had the security clear the room. I'm like, oh, that's cool, Brian. Hey, you know, the only reason you're not unconscious right now is because, um, I don't have any gloves and I don't want to get AIDS. Shit.
0: That was the lie, <laughs> and I cracked the fuck up when I heard that. <laughs> I
1: was just like, it's yeah, the... that's horrible. But, uh, you know, horrible people. <laughs> you know what? Um,. You're right. Can happen to a nicer asshole. Um, yeah, shit. Total, He ran in the corner. And then I, I, I saw him like a, like a couple days later. I came in the corner. It's just like it's just how we always put baby in the corner. Um, but yeah, he had a he 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 was legendary for going to every shitty redneck bar in Fort Lauderdale, talking smack and getting his ass kicked. Like that happened. He would he'd either he, he would talk he would. He would he would either drop the n-bomb and get his ass kicked for that or he would say you know just be a regular obnoxious asshole uh so yeah um total total piece of shit through and through
0: i think you should pay him a visit i think a lot of people like that <laughs> you want to do anything just feel like remember me motherfucker
1: oh god I doubt he would recognize me i I'd, I'd have to like I'd, I'd have to fucking let the hair go for
0: <laughs> grow the hair out come with a blood-stained shirt
1: <laughs> I'd have to wear a wig yes <laughs> go up get i'd have to get in shape and uh, put a wig on smoke goes in town motherfucker on. <laughs> <laughs> and i'd have to i'd have to color my hair red again um i used to have my hair used to be red. Really? But um, yeah, yeah. I have like uh, chameleon hair. It, <laughs> red. It goes red, blonde, brown, and then blow flesh scared it white. <laughs> I thought you were a blonde for real. Like I had no idea. I was. I was a blonde for real. I was a blonde, and then it went, yeah, and then it was a reddish blonde, and like my beard was red. Uh, I didn't know you had a beard actually. Yeah, I. I mean, that was when I was young. Okay. I was like twenty-two, twenty-one. I had a beard. And just like my face doesn't want the beard uh, just because I have really sensitive skin so like I can't even I can't I can't grow it out for shit and just as well because now it would be white and I'm not wearing a white beard I'm not doing it I have all kinds of friends who do it and they all look like shit and it's just like you know if I'm 80 okay I'll have a white beard but not when I'm 50 not when I'm 40 <laughs> I'm not doing
0: it <laughs> try growing a beard I want it look like Anthony Hamilton
1: yeah, you know, it's like it's like Norwood should just fucking, it's just like, just die your shit, man. I mean, <laughs> just, he looks, oh man, he looks like eighty years old with that shit. It's like, come on, Wood. I remember when he had the antenna.
0: Yeah, it's gone now. I could have sworn I saw him one time hanging on DC.
1: It's quite possible, you know,
0: because I remember I remember seeing his guy driving around DC, and I was like, yo. I don't know anybody else with that fucking antenna. That's fucking Norwood. I was like 15 when I what, saw this. Norwood
1: drives not drive old Benzes. Like one time we dropped him off after our tour and then we went around the corner and there he was in front of a Benz with its bumper that had just fallen off.
0: I think that might have been him. That might have been him in hindsight. All right. But speaking of Fishbone, I remember mm-hmm. they did a tour or they did a song with with Blowfly, right?
1: Well, I mean, the way I saw—I mean, I saw Blowfly in Chicago with Fishbone. That's—that's that's how. I mean, I, he never played down here, ever. Uh, I mean, ever. I mean, definitely not from the time that I would have been—I would have known about it, which would have been like, say, '85, um, until you know, until I played with him here. So. Uh, you know, everyone's like, I I had mutual friends with him, and you know, and I would ask, is he ever gonna play here? And it's it just, you know, and they would give me fleeting stories, and they'd tell, you know, I'd hear about how funky he was, like, like he he gave he gave Bob Perry, um, uh, from Blue Note Records his first suit, and Bob said he had to put it in the back because it stinks so bad. <laughs>
0: I'm afraid to ask how it it stinks like
1: that. It took six months for uh, for the bunk to wear off. But, I mean, that's the one he wore on the first album.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Yeah. And when I I went to get his outfit, and I took it to the cleaners, and I had to pick it up that day, the guy goes, sir, this was very dirty. I had to use all kinds of cleaning products. I'm like, I'm with you. My apologies. (laughs) <laughs> so yeah you know like he was always like there was an article there was a he was on the cover of the paper down here like 91 92 whenever the twisted world soundtrack came out Um, but he never I mean he was like a ghost you know unless you knew where to look which of which I later found out was Miami Highlight Um. <laughs> Be like, yeah. You could. The only way to run into Clarence was if you uh, if you went to one of his haunts, and basically dog track high life front on uh, the Miami the Miami bus system. Like if you were there, you could find Blowfly. Otherwise, he was just like a ghost machine, you know. Um, And every once in a while, you'd hear about him touring with Fishbone, but never down here. Like, Fishbow would play here, no Blowfly. Um, like, the closest he, they came with Blowfly was, like, uh, I think they played Jacksonville, with which is not close. That's six hours. Um, so, um, so basically, I was super, I, I just happened to be in Chicago, and uh, I was super excited to see him. Like, I saw Joe Strummer the night before. And then, uh, and then at the Cubby Bear, which is across the street from Wrigley Field, It's like a weird, it's kind of a weird venue that's kind of important in Chicago Punk Rock. It's a sports bar, like half of it's a straight sports bar, and they have a live room. Stage is only maybe 18 inches, 20 inches high. So me and uh, my then-girlfriend, now ex-wife, get there super early, like before the bus gets there, waiting for Blowfly, waiting for Blowfly. He's not getting off the bus. Uh, I let in half a fishbone <laughs> through the back door because <laughs> it was like fifteen degrees. Uh bitterly cold November night. Um and it was one of those tours where fishbone basically opened up for themselves. They didn't want to pay for another band. So they you know, so they had uh you know, they did the Dr. Mad vibe thing first, uh, and then the Bertie Waltz sanitation crew and then they, you know, backed up Blowfly. And Blowfly played second. He wasn't even, he wasn't even the the featured, you know, act OpenGreck, which is kind of fucked up. Yeah, um, yeah. But Clarence didn't care. So and and really Clarence left his own devices, would have only done this kind of shit until, you know, until he dropped. Uh, so basically, uh like Angela does the Doctor Mad Vibe thing and then and then you hear Waldo, now one of the original dirty rappers. And we start walking up and my uh, girlfriend goes, Tom, do we have to go up front? And in words that will forever haunt me, I said, yes, dear, I need the full blowfly experience.
0: And this where it gets interesting, folks.
1: So we're right up front and uh, like I'm singing along. And it's like the only people up front are like 20 old blackheads holding holding, you know, uh, albums to get signed and in, in like, in me and her, you know. All the, the fish, people there for Fishbone are watching this shit. So, like, you know, but we're just going out and I'm yelling out I'm yelling out requests and he starts, you know, he does, he does, like, 10 seconds in one and and then finally he just looks at me and he goes, who are you? You would not pot a train when I wrote those records. <laughs> And then, like, he sings all of Rap Dirty to, to uh, my girlfriend. She's turning all kinds of colors. Um, and then, you know, and then, and then he, and then, you know, and then he does the alphabet, and then he does, uh, Bird and Pussy, and he's gone. And, uh, and then we saw Fishbone play, and, and that was it. And then, like, um, Year goes by, a couple of years go by, um, and uh, I'm writing for the New Times. Uh, basically, it's kind of like your city paper. Uh, it, it 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 used to be a very prominent chain, and now it's a very dying chain uh, um, of weekly papers. Back when those existed, so. Um, there's this guy King Coleman who I was friends with and he was actually my first R&B reclamation project. Um he did the dance do the mashed potatoes. Yeah. Yeah, uh, he sings that. Uh it's it's credited to um Nate, Nate Kendrick and the Swans and then it says vocal King Coleman. That's James Brown's J uh, famous flames. That Kendrick was the drummer. Uh long story short, uh uh the Sid Nathan who ran King Records refused to put it out due to James Brown's contract with uh with King. He couldn't release it as James Brown, so they came down to um Miami on the night train, which is why the first stop on the night train is Miami, Florida. And um they recorded it down here with King. So King was the first rhyming Southern R and B DJ. And it—it uh, it was my guess that Clarence was influenced by King, and I was right. So I'm doing the story on King Coleman. It's a full feature for the paper, like in the front of the book. And I—I uh, I made uh, overture to uh, Clarence's old shitty label Pan Disc, and uh, and they put me in touch. And they, you know, so, uh, uh, they've told me to come, uh, to this session they were doing. So I show up and, and in the, in the lobby, there's blow fly, um, by himself on the couch. And I walked up to him and I told him where we had met before. He's like, that was you. And then we just start talking and then Bo's like, Oh, you're here, finally, I was like, Get it Clarence I already did this part, but we'll go listen to it. So like we're going so we're in this like recording studio and you know, it's total white suburban metal, douchey, you know the type kind of place. Carpet yeah. on the wall. Um you know, the place that thinks they're all pro. You know, basically one step up from working a guitar song. Okay. And sure. And they're all giving Clarence dirty looks. And I'm starting to get my back up a little bit. I'm just like, who the fuck are you? Because, you know, these are the kind of people that when I had my studio, I put these people out of business. (laughs) Like, there there was another studio like that called Natural Sound Recording, and we had... In our, in, our, in our first space, we had their bumper sticker on our toilet. So when you lifted the lid, it said, Capture, follow, ca- follow that dream. <laughs> Capture that dream, natural sound recording. Damn. <laughs> so, you know, here are all these douchebags, all these mainstream rock douchebags, like, you know, giving shade to the guy who wrote Cleanup Movement. I wasn't down with that. And uh, so we go in the room. And they played the track, and it's like, and the guy, the rapper's name was Mr. Charlie, so this was like a knockoff of uh, of Coochie Good. They did Pussy Good, and like Mr. Charlie was like the backup rapper for the Young and the Restless, which was like an '80s booty crew that you know had one hit in like you know 1988 or something. You know, this is like 2003. And and then I just hear Clarence go and do you know, just being, Whoa, and they just you just talking shit over it and it's just, it's terrible I mean it is the fucking worst and I'm just horrified you know it's like why is Blowfly reduced to doing backups for these fucking clowns you know and I mean it was awful and. And so I, I gave him a ride back. I gave Clarence a ride back uh, to the office, and I asked him, "Hey man, uh, you know it's been twenty in the twenty years that we both lived here. How come you haven't played Miami Blues? Like, I don't have a band here." I'm like, "Do you want one?" And he goes, "Sure." Now at that point, I hadn't played the drums in eight years. Um, I go into the office I, I, I tell Bo I'm like look you know in order for this story to come out there needs to be some sort of news him playing a show would be news you know I'm a blowfly fan. Why don't we make this happen He's like mm-hmm. all right so um, some time goes by and uh, we wind up playing my um my bachelor party which was a gig, and it, had, it was uh, King Coleman, Andre Williams, and Blowfly. <laughs> so, uh, that show ended at 1 in the morning. No, that show ended at yeah, like 1.30 in the morning, and I got married at 10.30 in the morning. Hmm. So, uh, then um, we, uh, we played a few more shows at the beginning of the year um, of 2004, and then, um, my, my friend Omar, uh, interviewed Afro man for the paper and he told Afro man that, uh, that blow fly at my wedding and Afro man goes insane and says, God damn it. You've got to put me in touch. He's like, all right. So, um, so Omar's like, yeah, Afro man wants you to call him. I'm like, okay. So I'm like, Hey man, you want to cut our truck? He's like, fuck yeah, I do. <laughs> Well, so we wrote Blowfly for president for Afro Man. And then Afro Man shows up, uh, smokes more weed than Cheech and Chong. Um, and we came up with that in that Pimpin' Policy song, which we just made up on the spot. So there was two tracks for the record. And then uh, this is when I had a, a column in Street Weekly. And when uh, there were acts that I thought would be cool in the record, uh, you know, usually they'd ask me, so what's your deal? ass atmosphere. I'm like, well, I'm making a blowfire record. He's like, no, you're not. I'm like, yeah, I am. He goes, well, I think I want to be on it. And I go, that could be arranged. <laughs> so that's how he wound up doing the the great debate. Because at first he was all skeeved out. He was like, oh, man, all these young kids look up to me. I'm like, we'll love the debate. It'll be dirty, you be clean. And then he wound up being filthy as hell. <laughs> um and then in a gravy train, on, you know, I asked them to do it and they did it. So like, you know, we kind of you know slowly made this record through the summer of 2004. Um and then um I uh, I, I got blow I got him out of his contract with Pandisc by getting him to release himself from a management contract where he was the only um officer. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And uh, and then um, we signed with AT and uh, we toured for fucking almost five years straight. Nice. Because
0: mm-hmm. I remember when I was getting more into Blowfly, you know, because I've always heard about him. In fact, my dad has the Weird World Blowfly. I don't know. He drew like an elongated dick on Clarence for some fucking reason. Is it cool to call him that? that you know. Mm-hmm. It's really? like, you know, well, it was kind of weird because it wasn't like a clearance readout, so it's called Blowfly. It was like an elongated dick on Blowfly for some fucking reason. I never what right. the hell is this. Hey, that name for you, son. That name for you, son. Maybe we're <laughs> a little bit older. <laughs> True story. So what's on vinyl, too, is like whatever record player there anyway. So. Right. You know, so I always I knew about him, I've always heard about him, you know. And because one thing I really knew about him was that for a second, he became a minister, right?
1: No, he was never a minister. That was something the guy from Spin Magazine made up. <sighs> Goddamn journalist? His mom was, was was kind of like a spiritual leader in the community. Oh, okay. She wasn't a minister either, but she just, you know, she oh, was
0: okay. she was
1: like, you know, Jesus Ma Dukes for, like, you know, that, uh, that community.
0: I don't know, because I just couldn't imagine. On oh, the other thing that I could but I couldn't at the same time see like Reverend Clarence Reed. It sounds like okay. it was
1: but... Well here's here's the thing, and this is what might have confused him. Okay. So Clarence was deeply religious. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, well yeah. But he got sick of you know, and most of his family is very religious. Well yeah. But he got very tired of everyone but his grandma giving him shit about the blowfly stuff. So one day he had it. And he he booked himself into the Holiday Inn for two weeks and he memorized the New Testament. Okay. Because he had that kind of memory. Yeah. So whenever anyone said anything to him, he would just destroy them with verses. And Every time in the van when he would say the most outrageous shit, we would look it up on Google, and some kid would have done his like PhD thesis on it. Nice, namely, Ham sodomizing Noah, like, like you know, blowflies, like, and Ham butfuck Noah after getting him wide. Right? And then we looked it up. And some, you know, someone had turned in a dissertation about this. And we're just like, what the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) And then, then, you know, and then his his other famous one was, and angels were butt fucked by Satan. (laughs) Yo, speaking of which. Yeah. Speaking of which have you
0: ever have you heard his artist named Mike Diana?
1: Boiled Angel guy, yeah.
0: I just interviewed him like last week. I was just wondering if you ever mm-hmm. crossed if we came across each other.
1: No, he's more I mean when he got busted, he kind of kept a pretty low profile after that. Um and he was always more of a you know, and that's Tampa. It's just I mean, you know, Florida is enormous. Yeah. You know he's on Largo, yeah. I think. Tampa is 5 hours from me. Oh yeah. And it's just a very like Tampa is still kind of the south. Like like where my my other place is is in Fort Myers, that's like that's it's 2 hours from Tampa. And that's it's, it's sort of the same area. Oh, okay. But um, Tampa is very different. Um and you know, in Orlando is also, but, you know, people like but at least it's like, you can get there in a day. Like, you know, some people will... So, sometimes, like, some some booking agent will be on crack and book Miami and Pensacola back-to-back. Back. The I fuck? mean, there, there's 13 hours. That's a 13-hour drive.
0: Yeah, it's like, I've only been to Florida maybe once or twice, and I know, listen, there's Miami, Florida, and South Georgia. That's Northern yeah. Florida.
1: Well, it's like, okay, it's, it's kind of in three like, segments. So there's, okay, so there's, like, my, so there's South Florida, which is Palm Beach to Miami. Yeah. Okay? Yeah, yeah. That's, like, so it's basically a 90, it's basically 90 miles up and down, and like, 15 miles wide. Yeah. And that's all South Florida. So, like, Broward, Broward is technically more diverse, but it's still, you know, like, it. Broward is the first place white people went to when they were afraid of Cubans, right? Okay. So... Yeah. And then and then Poon Beach the next step. But like that everybody like, you know, we're it's fairly civilized up and down mm. here. And then so then on the West Coast, typically it's a whole it's that's God's waiting room. So like that's you know, conservative snowbirds uh and rednecks. Yeah. But slowly in Fort Myers, like and, and in Tampa, like the colleges are getting bigger and they're kind of civilizing the area a little bit.
0: Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah.
1: And then, and then there's Gainesville, which is a college town. Um, Orlando is, you know, Orlando's kind of gone from, like, you know, Rednecks and Walt Disney World, and now it's, it's sort of a real city. Okay. Um, uh, and then Jacksonville is, is the is the buckle on the Bible Belt. Yeah. <laughs> hey, hey. That's North Georgia for fucking sure. Although yeah. Jacksonville Beach is pretty fucking cool. But Jacksonville, the city, sucks.
0: I just remember Fred Durst name checking it on um I forget what it might have been might have been like a hot like a Chocolate Starfish one of those fucking albums. That's where he's like in a redneck fucking from Jacksonville. I'm like okay, I'm like you're really
1: trying <inaudible> to make Jacksonville cool? Okay, whatever. No, it's impossible. Yeah. I mean, you know Leonard the only the coolest thing that ever came out of there was Leonard Skinner. Yeah, that's you know, that that's the exception that is the rule. <laughs>
0: I'll never forget when Ronnie Van Zandt said about uh, George Walsh. We didn't like how to treat them coloreds. Huh. huh. <laughs> There's a Southern expression for
1: Artemis him. Pyle. I know Artemis Pyle a bit. Um, his he, I'm friends with his son, Marshall. Oh, cool. And I, and I just met Artemis uh, last summer. I went I went to their place. That was that was a fun hang. He got his start as an R&B drummer.
0: I can see that. Yep. Okay. One other thing too that intrigues the fuck out of me. Um, wait, there's a connection between my God, I can't remember his name right now. I just remember he's the motherfucker from Anti Scene. I'm literally. Jeff Clayton. Yes, Jeff Clayton. There's a connection between Jeff Clayton and Blowfly, right?
1: Well, that connection is me. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I booked. I I booked Anti Scene the first time in 1993. And I booked them again, uh, 95 and 96. And then I, and then when I first started my comeback, I flew them in to play my 30th birthday and then they came back again and did my 32nd birthday. And then, um, and then one of the first blowfly fly shows we did was, uh, the first gray trash show. So the blowfly fly, scene, uh, Down here, and that was when you know when Eddie Scene were still they hadn't politicized yet, thank God. And you know it still wasn't just Jeff's band; it was Jeff and Joe were still uh, leading the band. But um, yeah, you know, on paper it worked. I mean, the it didn't; it doesn't sound like it should. And certainly it didn't work at all on the West Coast because they just terrified our fans. Oh, yeah. And they didn't give up at all. But, uh, you know, in certain places, you know, where uh, people. Like the first. The, the person who hit me to Rudy Ray Moore was Jeff Clayton.
0: That's a really cool like, story you're telling me. when
1: am I sharing? He sold me, I can't believe I ate the whole thing. And then I played that shit for like eight hours straight on a road trip. Um, so he. so, So Jeff. Would call up Rudy at like midnight, drunk as shit, and and talk shit to Rudy. And they and the night uh, the first time they were supposed to play L.A., they were he was gonna buy Rudy a steak dinner, and then uh, that didn't happen because that's the night the riots broke out. Yes, <laughs> and
0: like Clayton was stuck in traffic, right?
1: No, Clayton. Clayton. They were supposed to play the Jabberjaw, which is in South Central.
0: <laughs> I'm just curious Oddly. how that would have went through. How how that would have went, you know, like
1: oh, if Ruby and, and Jeff hung out, oh, that would
0: have gone great. No, no, no. So basically, playing that show actually, like at that time, we're
1: playing the show in the middle of the riots. Yeah, that's a, no one would have shown up.
0: Exactly. Uh,
1: no. Nobody would have shown up. No, no, no. So, I mean, yeah, generally they,
0: speaking, like I don't know. Like,
1: they, just got they got in the car and they and they drove they drove to Arizona. They were just like not looking around. Um, but yeah, like, like they, like they were, you know, they had to get out of South central. So like they were, you know, they drove around with a shotgun. I mean, that shit could have gone bad. And it was pretty funny because like years later when we did that tour, um, with Norwood playing bass and the anti scene were, um, uh, opening were, well, it was a co bill, but basically they were our opener that drew us. Um, they, uh, we we, uh, we had a pretty good show in San Diego except for the fact that this dude that was friends Norwood um, I don't know what he had if it was a panic attack or what but like first song he didn't play anything and then the second song I yelled play something and then he started playing the first song during the second song so like I blew up my voice to the point where I had to like go see a doctor for for weeks when I got home because uh, I, par- I had to sing my part I had to sing my part sing his part to him. You know, and play the drums at the same time. Shit. Not fun. However, he did repay us with a pretty good story, which was on the on the same day of the ending scene we're supposed to play. <laughs> he was moving that day, and like the first time, like you know, he's like bringing back stuff, and then he he knows there's some cop cars. And on the third trip from you know his old place to his new place, he's there were people on horseback in his neighborhood. He goes, Tom. There's no horses in the hood. <laughs> There's like, no horses in the hood, Tom. This
0: sounds just like him.
1: I'm just fucking losing it, man. Now this was the dude from Trulio, who was the bass player uh, that played with her that night, and then and then Clayton's like, you know, I was like, can't you? I was just like, can't you people settle your differences later? Trying to have dinner with Dolomite.
0: That was the one. I, that was the one. That was the line I was waiting for. That was the line I was yeah, waiting that, for.
1: That was one of the better, like, bottles of Jack Daniel conversations that ever happened. Sweet. So uh, yeah, you know, uh, you know, Clayton, worse, you know, Clayton didn't understand that uh, Clarence wrote all the Betty Wright stuff, which he loves. He loves soul music, so not surprised. Uh, you know, they came down here and they, they, we had we had a barbecue uh, at my folks' place, and uh, Clayton interviewed uh, Clarence for. Um, Oh God! What's the name of that magazine in Philly? It will come to me. Not same people that did Steel Cage Records. What is the name of the magazine? It'll come to me later. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so so like you know they they met and they you know they he, Clarence charmed him and then we you know we played that show together and and while we were there we recorded um, a Million Bucks. Uh, we did a we did an Anne-Zine cover for their Everybody Loves Anti-Zine tribute. <laughs> nice. forty-five seconds of it, and then uh, you know, and then I want, and then we we did it again. We we played it, you know, here and there over a couple years. Uh, the first time we played Charlotte, I thought it would go great because, like, where they play is in the hood, and I was like, this place, the Milestone, which has been the punk rock bar in in Charlotte forever. I mean, you know, since the '80s. Um, but it was hilarious, man, because. uh you know, I, I was I would stay in the parking lot, and, like, we would see these, you know, nice cars filled with very nicely dressed black folks, and they'd take one look at the people in the parking lot, and they'd speed out. Oh, boy. Like, what? You don't go visit Grandma? What the fuck? <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> and it, it was, like, finally, like, you know, like... And it was like so like yeah, that was like every time we would play uh with the anti scene, it was more you know, it was it was, it was fun, but like a lot of the times they would scare off our audience. Uh like the last time we played Charlotte without the anti and the only time we played the NC without them or without a Jeff Clayton project, like it was a lot better intended. <laughs> <laughs> Right. But it, like it, it kind of worked in like in some places, like San Diego and Seattle, it worked. You know, oh, yeah. um, there were enough people like me who who would get it, and yeah, understand it, yeah. That, yeah, there were there were this was a you know a place where you know trash culture intersects, but by and by large, like they just killed us in the in the Bay Area and uh, in Portland too, and yeah, it just really fucked up our tour history. We made a lot of money on that tour, but we, we paid for it later. <laughs>
0: yeah, because I think you remember, I remember you, was it you that told me, but Jeff Clay was like really protective of Clarence though, right?
1: Yeah, there was one show we played in, uh, in uh, Spartanburg, South Carolina, and this Nazi fuck brain shows up, and uh, he's right up front, and uh, they had played first. And there was, and Jeff had like this big tree branch. Yes, and he's just like he's just eyeing at this Nazi, and I'm just like, and I'm just looking at this Nazi, and I'm like, Is some shit gonna go down. Because <laughs> like I see, I see Jeff like, you know, with the tree branch, and I see this fucking Nazi lunkhead, and I'm just waiting for the guy to go up and Jeff to beat this guy to death with a tree branch. I mean that every once in a while, you know, you would feel that. Uh, but yeah, that was that was that was the only time I think it seriously got close. Um, but yeah, I, I was just like, I was just thinking, just like I had the tree branch, Tom. <laughs> you know what?
0: Sometimes you gotta you have some homies like that, you know. You Not know, kinda... you
1: know, it's, it's just one of these things where it's like you know. To an extent, we're their guest, you know. We're their, you know, and so uh, you know, you don't, you don't let anyone fuck with your guest. True. So uh, yeah, th- that would not have, you know, not, you know, nothing would have happened. But uh, you know, if if it did not start popping off in that direction, certainly Jeff would have been up front and and you know stopping it. All right. So I get kind of curious. I mean, like, He's a character. I mean, Jeff's only five foot nine, but because really? he's so wide. Yeah. But because he's so wide, he really he carries himself like he's seven feet three.
0: <laughs> I had no idea. I had no idea yeah. at all.
1: Yeah.
0: All right, 'cause okay, 'cause um uh, I'm Facebook with friends with Jeff Clay, and I think we spoke a little bit about wrestling every like once in a while. Mm-hmm. Um but um all right. So I think about so how do okay, so speaking of anti scene, how did punk rock party come about and which anti scene did y'all do a cover of? I'm trying to figure it out.
1: Okay. Uh the anti scene that we did a cover of was uh Destructo Rock. I mean it's a parody technically, but yeah. Uh AK and then we tur- I turned it into Destructo Cock.
0: Oh, okay. Which
1: got name checked by Patton Oswald <laughs> Wait, wait. Wait.
0: wait Patton Walls are True. kind of fuck with Blowfly, right?
1: Yeah, apparently so. Not enough to actually, you know, go to a gig or anything, but eh, yeah. hey, I've been to it with his friend. What's that guy's name? Brian uh, the Pusain? metal nerd dude. Yeah, Brian Pusey, fucks with Blowfly too. Okay, that makes total um, sense.
0: That makes total yeah. sense, though, you know. Yeah.
1: But yeah, so the punk rock party thing happened because of this. All right. So, you know, we we put out we put out uh, Fahrenheit sixty nine, which had a little bit of punk rock on it, but not a lot, you know. We did your your precious cunt, you know. We realized that your precious love was some kind of hate by the Misfits. It is. It it's the same horror progression. It is. So so we, we rocked out the last verse of that. And then uh we realized that um um the 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 love train basically is you know if, if you Chuck buried it just a little bit it's every Johnny Thunder song pretty much so, so we did so like we did the fucking fuck train um and, and we kind of had that in the bag and we did that you got your dick on backwards song we didn't really play that, that often but I quote you know, that so,
0: all the time seriously yeah. whenever somebody's a fucked up situation I say you got your dick on backwards and pissing in your guts boy. <laughs> <laughs> Every time, and I can yeah, It's like a blues that, that, I can't even find it anymore. It's like a bluesier number, right?
1: uh yeah, yeah. You, you got your head on. Yeah, you got your dick on backwards. We did on the Fahrenheit record. <laughs> yeah, yeah there yeah. the, the Sonics. It's on their the one, Yeah, but um, but yeah, that was that's all me. I wrote that shit. Um, but um, so what happened was, you know, we're we're touring with fucking Locke playing keyboards. We're playing funk, you know, um, and we're not getting, like, we get black people every, like, 10th show, and we get, you know, we never get any rap heads, you know, it's like, we're just playing the punk rockers, yeah, and it's frustrating, you know, and finally, I just got, you know, and finally, I just got frustrated. I'm like, you know what? Fuck this shit. You know, why, why should we just, you know, ruin Clarence's music? Let's ruin our music, too. You know what? It's fair. So, so I called Biafra up, and I'd and I tell him what's up. And he goes, okay. Okay. Record, but only if you do now, I want to fuck your dog. And I'm like, oh. Yes. And I'm like, really, Biafra? Fuck your dog? Okay. And then, you know, Gigi Allen has that song called "Fucking the Dog. One of the more depressing songs ever. <laughs> so... um, I'm trying to think who deserved to have their dog fucked and it was, you know, George W. Bush. Yeah. Um so basically we were in the we were in Austin. Um uh, my friend, uh, the late uh whiskey rebel. He wrote the he was the the guy behind ranted Vat, the band from Portland that then later had uh incarnations in Philly and in Texas. Uh Phil was there and he's actually who hooked me up with Biafra in the first place. Um and then we uh, we played the suck and fuck train. And then at the end, we do the suck and fucking, suck and fucking fuck. And people lost their shit. So, uh, you know, we're like, yeah, we're going to do this. So we, were writing, we wrote the lyrics up and down the West Coast of that tour. That the, the winter 2005 tour, which was one of our more successful ones. So everyone was in a pretty good mood the whole time. Okay. Um, so yeah, you know, and then uh, we uh, we recorded it, um, and uh, it was just one of these things where, you know, we put a lot of work into that record. Uh, you know, certainly uh, among all the Blowfly records I did, that one is the one with the most production value. Oh yeah. And the most time. Like we even did pre-production on it. We we went into the rehearsal space and we rehearsed that shit for six weeks straight. And then just so I wouldn't have to take 20 a bunch of shit, uh, I brought in a friend of mine to play the, the faster drum songs. Um, and we went in there and we recorded every track on that album and both singles in one day. We did all the drum tracks the first day. And we did all the basic tracks. So basically we just ran through it, got all the drum tracks. The next two days the guys came in and um, you know fixed their mistakes and finished their guitars. And, like, we got the music done and nothing flat. But then it took forever to do the vocals, and we didn't quite understand why. It was because Clarence was recording two records at the same time. Oh, yeah. So he's fucking us over and doing vocals for that bullshit Super Blowfly record. And he's always in a bad mood when he comes over to see us. And one day, like, he had his nose was broken. I guess he got into a fight with one of his brothers and he busted his face. And uh, he claimed that a baseball got him, <laughs> just like get the fuck out of here. So like we always in a shitty mood, and it's never fun. And really, like, what's wrong with this guy? You know, uh, you know. And the thing was, he was feeling guilty, and so by feeling guilty, he decided to be a bigger asshole. So um, he was, he was not. You know, the first time we did the record, but like it was just cake. You know, he was. You know, he had been on the shelf so long. He was happy and eager to work, and. Dare I say, grateful, you know? And this time he was miserable. And it wasn't until after we finished the record that I admitted the record was good. So, um, we started touring this record, uh, in September. And we're like, the middle of like the desert when we heard, he's like, he he comes up to me in in like a truck stop. He's like, hey, I need these batteries. I'm like, yeah? Those are rechargeables. You got a battery charger, motherfucker? And he's like, well, I need to hear this shit. And we're like, okay, well, you know, I got him some non-rechargeable batteries. And then we hear him in the back of the van clearly listening to, you know, current Clarence Reed screaming his guts out. And it's like every idea we rejected. Oh, shit. And one idea that I had. And um, like, so when you listen to Clarence, he's like, oh, this is just some old shit. We're like, sure. So, you know, he went to sleep. We stole the CD. We listened to it. We downloaded it to my computer, and it sounds like ass. It's like we could not, I mean, it really, that record sounds terrible. It sounds like Wesley Willis, like, hit play and then left the Casio. Ooh, shit. Yikes. So, you know, everything's too long. Nothing's funny. You know, it's, it's just, it's garbage. And we're like, you know, and I was crushed because we had put so much work into that record. And now here he is pissing all over it. And so you know we're mad. You know he broke the fucking CD in half, <laughs> and you know Clarence never says anything about it, but he knows something's not something's not right. So you know he, he, his back up his, his back is like a little bit up like the whole time, and uh, it, it, the tour still went fairly well um, until we like got to the south, and then everything kind of went to hell, and um, it was it just yeah. The crazy part about it, it is,
0: I never heard of Super flight That didn't even come out.
1: Yeah, it did. Henry Stone put it out. I it's it's uh, recommended. <laughs> It's recommended. I terrible.
0: just for the sake of morbid curiosity, I, I even look for it. I, it's like it never existed. So,
1: I can't find anything about it. I'm fairly sure it's on Spotify. I
0: had to look. It's um, not there.
1: Look good. now on music too. Good. It ain't good. there. Happy to see that thing die, an evil death. And then yeah, we. Had, so what happened was like, this. This is how the first that that incarnation of band broke up. So um, we are in uh, Knoxville, and the in like six months, like I guess eight months earlier, we had played Knoxville and we sold out the venue. And we thought we were gonna do great, and a nice fat guarantee. And we did some uh, we did some local TV, and you know we got it. and We just bombed. There's nobody's there. And, uh, then, you know, then, um, then I go to the hotel and I'm, I'm going online and I see, and I get and Henry, it's Henry's uh, son has sent me an email to one of my other AOL screen names. That's how long this was. Wow. And it's uh, like, Oh, finally a new blowflow record. I'm like, really? Finally? You mean like two weeks later? Who the fuck is this? And I realize he's done it. And I am angry because oh. at the time I'm selling Henry's fucking shitty CDRs of the old albums. Oh, okay uh I just couldn't- you know I couldn't believe he'd do me like that, but of course that's what he'd done his whole life. Why wouldn't he? you know he's just a fucking snake, so um you know I'm angry, and now uh you know uh so the next day we go to Atlanta and uh we had an in store and now now everyone's like starting to lose the thread, so the guitar player at the time uh decides we we're gonna play over the the album track, and I'm like, "Don't do that. That's gonna be horrible." And he insisted it was terrible, and so you know, now everyone's in a pissy mood because we've just done this terrible in store. And uh, we're, the idea was to go to the venue, drop off the gear, take get taken off, and get Clarence's pizza, and then you know we're fine for the day. But instead, we roll up, doors locked, no one's there at the venue, so. Uh, there is a pizza place next door, so we'll bring what we order his pizza. So Clarence, still in his full gold outfit, uh, is like, why aren't we left yet? I'm like, we're waiting on your pizza. Like, I'm like, what do you want me to do, man? You know, We'll be done in five minutes. And he goes, I'm extremely pissed. And he punches out the back window of the man. Oh, yeah. No, no, the passenger side window. Oh, yeah. So he punches out the window, and there's glass everywhere. And um, and then this hippie comes out who's the delivery guy he's like hey man, that's not cool, man. You need to sweep that up, man. And Clarence runs out like walking dead, come here, Crocker! Shit <laughs> <cracker?" laughs> So I pick up Clarence like a loaf of bread. This is before he got fat. And he's like, put me down, Tom! I'm like, fuck that and I throw his ass in the van. And I'm like, get this motherfucker out of here. I don't want to see him until it's like, ladies and gentlemen, blowfly. So I sweep up the fucking glass, you know, clean up the mess, go across the street to the fucking Safeway, and you know, get fucking duct tape and garbage bags <laughs> to cover the window. Um, and you know, and then and then they come back and they're like, Tom, we quit. I'm like, okay, you realize we have to play this show and the next two, so we come on with money, right? We're like, yeah, we'll, we'll finish the tour, but you know, we're done after this. We were going to tell you before. We're like, whatever, that's fine. So, uh, you know, and this is what's so odd about this. So, the guitar player, you know, he quits, right? And it had nothing to do with me. But he basically has a fatwa against me from like 2007 until the end of the career. Uh, because he was so bitter that he uh, that he didn't get to do the fun shit afterwards.
0: <laughs> it happens. It happens. Yeah,
1: and it was you know was a total piece of shit. So anyway, um, you know we play those shows and uh, Clarence got to go home on the on a bus by himself. Put me on a bus. Well, he never said to, said to do that again. <laughs> When he actually put him on a bus, and he had fourteen hours to think about being on a bus. Uh, he no longer wanted to be on a bus. Hey.
0: Yeah. All right. Getting back to the creative side, because you know I'm kind of a mm-hmm. gearhead. I'm going other kind of heads yeah. too, but I get kind of curious though. All right. So you wrote "Rusty Trombone '77," right? Uh,
1: quite. a... I wrote some of it. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of uh. 77 Roasted Trombones was like stuff that Clarence would sing to us in the van. Yeah. So, like, Clarence wrote The Big Gay Crack, uh, Hello Dolly, um, American Ho Woman. These are things he would sing to us in the van, you know. And that that old, the good old Mountain Jew. I wrote Fake in the Bye. Yeah. Um, and, God, I wish I had a track list in front of me. I
0: believe Uh, my dick can fly part two.
1: um, No, Clarence wrote that. He wrote that. Those are new lyrics. He wrote that. um, uh, Billy wrote um, She's Got a Wiener, and um, If You Don't Blow Me By Now. There's a few other tracks I wrote on that record. That's not coming to me. There's so many. Hang You know
0: that really weird about that? I would literally... um, I would literally sing to myself, "You don't know, blow me by now." Before like I even we even met, because <laughs> I would just because un- I put it this way. Let me explain the motherfucker I was. Not really surprising. I would loudly sing "Fucking an animal" in front of my parents by Guar for no goddamn reason.
1: Yeah, you know. Okay, I'm, I'm look I'm looking at the tracks right now. So I, yeah. I actually wrote part of "If You Don't Blow Me By
0: Now." Yeah,
1: I wrote like one verse. Okay. I wrote Masturbate with Billy. Um I wrote Blowfly Jeopardy. Um Yeah, and I wrote Fake and the Buy. And yeah, and then yeah, ABC's Clarence, uh, Hell's Ho Dolly, uh He Will Fuck You as Clarence, I Fuck Everything Is Clarence. Yeah, th- he did for one of our records, this this is some of the most stuff he did. Just, just, a lot of it was you know, him, these are just things he's saying to us in the van for the most part. With And then the Blow Me By Now and um, and uh, She's Got a Wiener. She's Got a Wiener is something that Billy and Sean started singing when we played in San Francisco. They just they were just walking around the hate and saw, saw Tranny and started singing, She's Got a Wiener. Oh, God. <laughs> but like Punk Rock Party, I wrote most of it uh Clarence wrote like two songs, and i wrote I wrote eighty percent of the rest. the other dudes would 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 give a line here or there, and I stupidly gave them like twenty five percent i I gave us all equal writing credit, which is totally stupid um because they certainly did not contribute a quarter to that
0: <laughs> hey. You you Learn, though, you know, because shit.
1: Unfortunately, yeah. What was
0: that one song, though, because I'm just remembering all the stuff, like, um, I would literally sing dirty lyrics to, and those are, like, three of those songs I would sing dirty lyrics to. Y'all did it better, though. Um, and it's like, um, I would literally basically sing, if you don't blow me by now, yeah. I will never come. I would just say shit like that. And what was the one... um? It was the one. It was when you, the one title you just mentioned. Um, it like, no, no, no. I would say I fucked everything. It's, oh, mine yeah. was still stupid though. Like because everything was you. I yeah. F-
1: well, Clarence Clarence did that on stage with us almost every time we played.
0: What year was this?
1: Um, well, I mean, we recorded it at the end, but like you know, all the way through from 2003 till 2015, he would he would he would sing that. That was, you know, we, we just never put music to it. He would want to do that a cappella. Nice. Although one music. <laughs>
0: hey. Yeah, I'm glad y'all were there though. But okay, but when it comes to writing though for for blowflies, so we should create a process on there.
1: Well, the first record, um, it was Clarence would write like I would I would tell Clarence an idea and he would write a verse, and more often than not, I would wind up finishing it. Okay. So like, um, like there's that song when darkness falls, and that song is about my friend Sean Kelly, uh, who is now who now works who's now an engineer for Tesla. <laughs> hey. At the time, he was running an all—he was running a, a, an all the dark orgy night in San Francisco called Darkness Falls, where it's like you had to like crawl to get in, and the only things that were illuminated were the glow tape on the buckets for condoms and dental dams.
0: You do what now?
1: Okay, so you're in a room that's all dark, right? Okay. And then, like, and then, like the bouncers are watching with infrared to make sure there's like no rapey stuff going on. Okay. And, and no one can see in the room. The only thing you can see are buckets for dental dams and condoms. Okay. So, so Clarence wrote, so Clarence wrote the um, the verse, all right, and and then Gravy Train added their verse. And then I and then I wrote the chorus. And then I wrote... I And then we did a skit with them at the end where basically we you know... I just told them... I told them to what, what to talk about and and what to improvise, and we just kind of did it like that. So, like, we... That was kind of done on the fly, so to speak. And same thing with prison policy. It's like... I kind of gave everyone a sketch. I'm like, okay, you're the vice president after a man. Lil' is the president, you know, and I'll be, like, the super service guy... And so, you know, we kind of did it like that. Um, and then uh, for other songs, like you got your deck on backwards, I I just brought it as a full piece. Um, and then we re repurposed, what's uh, it um, the the love train. The, he he did the suck train, so we made it the suck and fuck train. And then like you know, and then we we wrote songs, you know we the great debate you know basically uh we got uh we 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 wrote the the first part and then and then and then uh atmosphere did his part and then we went back and forth you know and and then and then but uh, he said he sent back the you know there were like uh back and forth things and, and actually I I take that back. Atmosphere came down here. That's right. He was on the warp Tour. I picked him up, and, and then we did his parts, and Clarence decided to vanish that day, which probably cost us being on Rhymesayers. Um. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it happens, you
1: know. Oh, God. Always is worst enemy, Clarence. Always. So, I mean, a lot of times it'd be collaborative. Sometimes, you know, a whole song would come in, um, sometimes Clarence would come in with a whole song and it would suck and then we would rearrange it and then it wouldn't suck anymore. Um, like scumbag fucker. It was awful and then the that the guitar player at the time, he rearranged it and made it sound like a, a mentor song, and then I the way I played the drums, I made you know I put in a bunch of really dumb overkill fills just like El Duce did, and so you know, it became a mentor song. Uh, nice. You know, and then you know, like, and we were just writing that that punk rock party thing. It's like, you know, what, what's with, with what CDs we had? So like, the bass player had some CDs, and I did R. Kelly in Cambodia. Came, you know, that was his idea, and then I wrote most of that. Um, and then like, uh, and then like, destructive cock was all me. And then uh, uh, the 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 rock the Crip song uh, stuck in the middle. you know uh, fucked with a dildo. You know, and I would, I, a lot of that was just like my record collection, us being on the road and me just, you know, knocking it out. And then every once in a while we would get stuck and like, uh, we did all this and more, uh, I just want to be a sex toy. So by the dead boys. And so like, you know, like that was like, all right, we need, we need lyrics for this. And so me and the guitar player, he gave me a couple lines and I wrote the rest of it around that. So, you know, it was, it'd be collaborative to the in that sense where it's like, you know, these guys would you know, someone else would give me a thing or two and I'd finish it. Or Clarence would have something and I'd finish it, you know. Etc.
0: It's fucking dope. Remember when Rant guessed one of the titles for uh for one of the songs?
1: He did. Yes. <laughs> Which one? He should have laid
0: his big fat home now.
1: I'm oh, all right, right he guessed right.
0: that one. And he was it was a total guess. Nice. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> like, he was just dicking around. You really
1: know who's like sheer yeah, guest. Oh, that, was, that was one of my first ideas. Was soon I fucking figured out. Oh my god That, was, that, that, that came out. That, that was like, that was that was almost instantaneously. That song almost wrote itself. I yeah, like, the girlfriend yeah. wrote like two lines of the song, and I wrote the rest, and then he wrote a stupid little pirate part.
0: I would obnoxiously um, scream out the lyrics. Don't want to be filleted.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I. I yeah, yeah, that was a similar thing. I probably, I, I definitely came up with that idea, and then uh, you know, the the guitar player at the time, being a dirt bag, had a had a couple funny lines about being a dirt bag. You know, take, take me to a skein. Hurry, hurry, hurry. We're going insane. Um, My
0: other favorite one, too, um, was Dance With Myself. Well, it's kind of weird when you realize um, Dance With Myself, of course, I can't it's, play it's myself.
1: About masturbation. Yeah, so we made a song about masturbation being about
0: masturbation. But then I kind of so, realized something. It reminded me of that one song about the drifters. Yeah. They say the last dance for me is basically Dance With Myself. <laughs> I remember picking up on that shit. Yeah. It was like yeah, to it, me at it, least. It,
1: the more you play a rock and roll, you realize Ain't how much has been stolen. Exactly. Um, yeah. Hole you know, rips just because a white guy's doing it. It's funny because that you know, they got switches around. When that gets switched around lawsuits are involved, you know, when Ray Parker Jr. rips off Huey Lewis. <laughs> hey, in <laughs> I mean, fairness,
0: you know who should be really mad about that? Mm -hmm. the bar case they should be really pissed (laughs) if anybody should be upset about that
1: yeah well I mean Ghostbusters has made Huey Lewis rich beyond all possible means
0: yeah yeah here's a weird fact Ray Parker Jr. is actually my my godfather nice funny story in fact he's the reason my parents met wow I shit you not here's what happened my mom was working over at WPGC my dad was over at WHUR or one of those stations, mm-hmm. I can't remember. Um, either way, he was doing, you know, the press junket, right? And what happened was, it's like, you know, Ray was basically going between those stations, right? So, mm-hmm. it's like my dad was like, he stopped at my station my dad was at first, and he said, yo, you like, yo, going to a test station? Yeah, this one woman talking to him. was like, Sherry your burger. I'm paraphrasing like a motherfucker because I was definitely not there. He said, yo, mm-hmm. t- 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 tell me what you think about her, right? So Ray happens to meet her, you know, and he comes back. Yeah, yeah she's cool. She's cool. That's what happened. <laughs> Shit, you're not. You know? All right, one more question before I head out because... All right you you've met Rudy Ray Moore, right?
1: yeah, we toured with him. He was a friend,
0: all right, so you say you can see say, let's say you got to know him right,
1: yeah, how
0: well did Eddie Murphy capture Rudy Ray Moore of mine is my name
1: scary, scarily perfect he yeah, I didn't think he did a great job with the voice,
0: yeah, it didn't sound but, like him,
1: no, 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 But the mannerisms, the bitterness uh. And and his and his sweetness, he got perfectly.
0: Well, oh, yeah, I can definitely tell that because my buddy Daniel Jordan, remember, he, it's like he was basically um, Rudy very more caretaker in his in his later years.
1: Yeah.
0: I really hate to wrap this up, man, but you know,
1: it's been a long, it's been a long, long rambling interview. It's been Am a I fucking.
0: <laughs> to be told it's been a fucking minute though since we talked actually right so i'm really mm-hmm. glad to chat with you you know i'm glad to know you're doing good um also because you know i look forward to hearing some more music from you you know it's like a, in knowing that you have like a new album in the can and you're creating it again i'm glad to hear that you know so is there anything else you would like us to check out or anything you know to tide this over and whatnot
1: um you know watch out for the um, Uncle Tom and the Charmin um, COVID Times record coming out just as when it becomes irrelevant and uh, that'll probably come out on uh, oh god on, um, on anti-corporate records which mm-hmm. is what I uh, put the um, Forever Fly Blowfly record out on and also I released that Anal Comp Picnic of Love out and I also did that I, I did a guest vocal on um the latest Cool Keith record, the one he did with Phaeton, um, which now I can't remember the name of the album. <laughs> that is terrible. That is terrible. Edit, edit, edit. Oh, God. I'm I'm pretty sure I did the fucking title track, too. Oh, fuck. That was awful. Hang on one second. Okay. Pause. All right.
0: All right,
1: hang on. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I'm I'm on, I'm on um, the Cool Keith and Phaeton album Space Goretex. And I'm on the I'm on the single out of that, which is called Hallucinations. I uh, I do an impersonation of uh, the cricket from Space Goes Coast to Coast. Zorak. Nice. Yeah, it's a little buried, but you can hear me <laughs> towards the end.
0: <laughs> Dope.
1: That was pretty funny 'cause we have we have a bit of a history with Keith. So it was it was just super funny to, to be visiting Dan and have Dan do this project and I'm like he's like, You wanna cut something? I'm like, Fuck yeah I do <laughs> I can't
0: wait to check that out.
1: Yeah, that's that song's great. That whole record's amazing. I mean like it's it really is like the funkiest stuff he's Keith has done in ages. And it's you know, it's all and Thayton is just bass and drums and the different tones he gets out of his, you know, the myriad of effects he throws through it. It's some pretty good outer space fun. I gotta check it out. Cool. cool. Well, all right. Good talking to you, man.
0: Great talking to you, too.
1: All right. Take care. Bye.
0: Right. Bye. Hey, that was Tom Bauger. Check out his work for Blowfly on the album's 77 Rusty Trombone, Punk Rock Party, Fahrenheit 69, and also the album that Tom was trying to remember was Cool Keith's Space Gore Tex with Phaeton. Until next time, take it easy and please use common sense.